Hello everyone, I'm Alex and I'm here with my husband Shane. The babies are in bed, the cat is in her room, and we are so glad that you could join us for happy hour. On this Family Tree Podcast, episode 54. Boom. We have Simon Rex, aka Dirt Nasty, as our guest, who is just generally very cool, has had a crazy career. Yeah, he's kind of done it all. We we go through it in the uh, the interview itself, but he started his career as a... I guess he was in an adult film. Three. That, but Three that's not really, short ones, yeah. But he didn't know he was actually going to have an entertainment career. Mm-hmm. He went on to be a MTV VJ, one of the most popular VJs. He's interviewed Tupac Shakur. Then he went on to star in a television series, Jack and Jill. There was a, an Amanda Bynes series he was on. And he also, if you're a fan of the show Felicity, he is the one who uh, Felicity lost her virginity to. But he then went on to be in Scary Movie 3. Who's a model. Which, he was a model, uh, and Scary Movie 3, it might be the most popular third installment of a movie ever. Like, people cite Scary Movie 3 as one of the funniest movies. Did it Did it do super well at the box office? I don't know anything about it, really, well, all other the, than All the Scary it. Movies did, yeah, and that was the one where uh, the Waynes brothers did Scary Movie 1 and 2. Yeah. And then there was a problem with Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> well, there's, <laughs> I, I guess there's always a problem with Harvey Weinstein, but... Uh, something happened between the Waynes brothers and okay. Harvey, and then he hired one of the Zucker brothers, or maybe both of the Zucker brothers who are famous from Airplane and... What, Naked Gun? Yeah. <laughs> but point is, he has had... Have I gotten into his rap career? No, you okay. have not touched on that. Okay, then he was kind of a Vine star, and then he st- had this rap career where he created this alter ego called Dirt Nasty. Hold on, I have a question. Yeah. Now... Because you know more about that part of him than I do. Did he create the rap career in Dirt Nasty because of success on Vine? No, I, I think he was a guy who was making beats in his spare time. Okay. And then he just started hanging out with people and they, they were like, oh, come on, this track or whatever. Like, I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I'm not his biographer, but uh, he, he also discovered Jody Highroller, also known as Riff Raff. Uh, who became a very famous rapper in his own right. But why would he be on this episode? Because I guess it's called This Family Tree Podcast. He doesn't have any kids. And, you know, I I can't really answer that properly, but I will say there is a connection to me and him. So we're at a a tea room of all places having a chicken pot pie, and the waiter gives me my chicken pot pie. Mm -hmm. And he goes, here you go, dirt. And I'm like, (laughs) What? He's, and he's like, oh, nothing. And then the next time I went there, this was like one of my favorite restaurants. He called me Dirt again. His brother actually called me Dirt. They were they were brother waiters. And I was like, wait, what do you mean? He's like, Dirt Nasty, you have a Dirt Nasty vibe. <laughs> I was like, okay. So I went home and Googled. I'm like, oh, this is Simon Rex, who I, I loved his movies. I always thought he was very funny. Were you, were you initially offended that he was calling you Dirt Nasty? Like, were you ever like, how could this be a good thing? No, because I was at a tea room. and Exactly. I, <laughs> I didn't think someone would have like this. I, I was very friendly with these waiters too. Right. Like I, this was my favorite restaurant or kind of brunch place, I guess you'd call it. But I was very flattered because uh, Simon Rex is a very handsome man. And I was like, oh my goodness, we are so alike. And we kind of think alike. And we're both, I was in a rap group too. That was a naughty rap group with humorous lyrics, similar to the ones that yeah. Simon Rex came up with. And Simon Rex has a song called My Dick. And I had a song called Botched Circumcision. And the song, My Dick, is a huge hit. And Botched Circumcision is not. (laughs) But (laughs) point is, both songs were about penis, very juvenile, immature, whatever. Anyway, 
I thought, hey, let's reach out to Simon because I became very enamored with this podcast, Nervous Rex, and the guests he was having on and his stream of consciousness because I don't want to pigeonhole this podcast as just a podcast about parenting all no. the time because if you are a parent you're interested in everything you're not just always wanting parent yeah and and shane and i talk about that a lot you know as parents ourselves yeah we like to research you know different issues that were going to come up in our parenting journeys but we also want to be entertained we want to be entertaining and parents you know you're around kids all day if you're going to take a couple moments out to listen to a podcast we hope that you can learn something but that you can also have fun and be entertained and that's so important to us and we're parents yeah we're we're omnipresent so this is always a kind of a parenting centric thing of course and we do talk to simon about parenthood in a way he one of his first girlfriends was a, a mom and he had to, at a very young age was looking after a, uh, a three-year-old but we get into all this in the interview well shane let's toast let's get on with it what do we have here we have a lazy seed lip drink we have a lazy one a lazy but tasty one that's not to say it's a bad drink we're using seed lip spice 94 splash of tonic what's amazing is super simple i hate tonic with a passion I know you do. <laughs> but somehow it cuts it so nice that it tastes good. It's amazing how that can happen. This has happened with a bunch of seed lip drinks, actually, where I have not liked it without the seed lip in it. Well, do you remember I made the carrot one a little mm-hmm. while back? And you're like, oh, Alex, like carrots and drinks is going to be weird. And I was like, Shane, relax. It's going to be good. We loved it. And then we tried it the next day with alcohol and hated it. It did not have the same vibe. Yeah, I didn't try it with alcohol. You did. I, did. I didn't like it. But if you've listened to the last episode, you'll know I've been cutting out alcohol, except yesterday I did have a beer because we celebrated an interview. We had uh, we had an hour and a half long interview with Emma Watkins from The Wiggles. Such a cool moment. Yeah, but I do find that the week I took off, I felt so much better. And somehow, like I was talking about how the CBD wasn't working. I was waking yeah. up with a headache. Update. I feel like the CBD's somehow working now. What? I don't know. I, I don't wake up with a headache anymore. Was the alcohol and CBD mixture, and I, I was only having one but drink I was just going to say, it's not like we were actually drinking, I know. drinking. I have a theory, though. What? I might be allergic to alcohol. Okay, a good way to test this. So we've talked before, Shane gets tinea, like a skin thing, and it tends to get worse when you're partying or drinking or not taking care of yourself. I'll take photos, and we will see if it clears up in this period. Mm-hmm. <laughs> super interesting for the listeners. you love bringing up tinea it's like it's like a disgusting rash all over my body i'm always trying to like not talk about it <laughs> we could be talking about any subjects well it could be because of your tinea but i'm, I'm gonna try to like barring no celebratory thing because yeah. you did spring that beer on me and i was feeling good about that emma watkins interview i'm gonna try for all of october minus thanksgiving Mm -hmm. to not drink and let's see how it goes because i really do enjoy the way i feel amazing well shane speaking of how you feel i wanted to bring something up on our last podcast but i didn't because it was a little fresh so i wanted to ask you about it today we had a photo shoot last week at the cottage and before the photo shoot the day before i was showing you photos that myself and our photographer who is amazing mm-hmm. we're kind of using as inspiration and I, with excitement i showed you my phone 
And I was like, all right, babe, so this is kind of, you know, like, this is the vibe. And we were mostly thinking of, like, the colors and things, but they were, you know, just families doing family stuff, looking like they love each other. And I showed Shane, and he immediately, like, you freaked out, babe. You freaked out. Yeah, I don't, one, I'm not a photo type person. I like, I like you being in a photo shoot a lot. But I always feel bad about myself. I just know that when photos are taken, it means you have to look at the photos later. <laughs> like anyone who knows me, if I like, it's even weird. I've been in so many photo shoots in my life. But anytime photos are taken, I'm the guy who never look like surrounds the photographer and like takes like, let me see. Oh, and gets excited and high vibes. I'm like, oh, I'm going to be humiliated. So you... The, day, the night before the photo shoot, you decided to spring these sample photos that we we're going to be taking. What am thinking. I springing? They're family photos. All family photos look the same to a degree. You can't do that the night before. One, I don't like the way I look from a lot of angles. <laughs> and all these were angles that I hate how I look in. And then I get in my head. And I know I shouldn't care this much. I should be not so narcissistic in a negative way. But I, I, I do care. And you need to just give me a couple days out. Then I can get ready for it. Right. Okay, so in my mind, Shane's ideal photo shoot is where maybe all the family is standing beside each other. You know how like grade eight boys stand for pictures where they have like their legs kind of spread open and their hands together like in front of their crotch? That's how I imagine you'd prefer us to stand all like that, like cool grade eight boys with no smiles, just looking cool into the camera. Am I incorrect no i don't have a good smile you have a natural smile you're smiling always so your natural face the way it lands is a smile so you don't understand what non-smiling people but have to go through you look great when you have a smile and when there's a Alex, photo where you're smiling you want to see my smile yeah tell me i look great honestly you're smiling right now when no, you're no, talking no, to I'm me and you look a, good a natural laugh is one thing but here's me getting ready hold the camera up like you're gonna take okay a say cheese you think i look good there yes that's a lie. No, it's not, you dingus. Point is, you know I'm not a picture person. I wouldn't have done that. Scarlett is the Scarlett O'Neill is the best photographer, and I actually saw some photos that I liked how I looked in, mm -hmm. which is amazing. And you are the most photogenic person in the world, so no wonder you were so pumped for the photo shoot. I understand that, but like you know, people say treat people the way you want to be treated. Yes, that's bullshit. <laughs> treat people the way you think. They want to be treated. Yes. Based on how well you know them. And I'd like to think us as partners know each other pretty well. Like, I know everything you're thinking. Shane, I just, like, really, what did you have in mind when I said that we were taking family photos? Like, what else? I'm, I just wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't ready to be in a bad mood. And I didn't, I either want to think about the family shoot a week before or day of have someone be like, oh, stand here and tickle Lou. And then I'll do it. Well, it was funny because that night you, there was one of the sample photos we were looking at was a family like playing around in a bed. And Shane's like, I'm not getting in the bed. I'm not doing the bed stuff. I just I can't. That's not my thing. I just can't do that. And I'm like, Shane, like you can't just like, you know, snuggle up in bed like we do that anyways in the mornings. And you're like, no, 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 I can't fake that. It's just not something I can do. And you're like, we're getting so hot. And then that morning when Scarlett drove up to the cottage, I just before she got in the house, I was like, hey, um, just let you know. So for the bed scene, it's just going to be me and the girl. It's okay. And she goes, oh, uh, like, is Shane, does he have to work? And I said, no, 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 he'll be in other scenes. Uh, and in fact, you know, I have a few planned that I think 
he'll be more comfortable in but that one's just gonna be us and she's like well is there any way and I, I, I cut her off and I was like no, no no it's just gonna be me and the girls for that uh Shane's, Shane's more comfortable not being in that mm-hmm. one and she was a little confused and uh then I was like don't worry he'll become more comfortable it's just getting him in the situation first because I think that you're more willing to do something cheesy or something that you might otherwise feel uncomfortable with if you're in that situation as you said and uh scar i kind of said something along the lines that to scarlet and she goes has he seen my photos because Mm. hers are like so moody they're so beautiful and they're really far from cheesy the, the problem was the photos you showed me although they were fine they weren't her photos. So sometimes examples, I'm like, I don't want to be in like a Kmart ad. I hate the way I look. (laughs) And you know me. I'm I'm so in my own head at all times. And I just, I have 8,000 nervous disorders going on. (laughs) And like, I I honestly do. Like, it's not even a joke. You need more CBD that day. Sure, but it's not even a joke. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) (laughs) the funniest thing all pot is me saying it's not a joke. But I feel like I know you. I I feel like you should know. I do. I do. And you know what? I know you, and I know that a lot of things get you anxious, and that a lot of things make you uncomfortable. And I think that I'm always pissing you off, almost intentionally. It, to try to get you to come out of your comfort zone with certain things a little bit. Horrible strategy. <laughs> Horrible strategy. Is anyone we'll get like, there one day. Old dog, new tricks. No one thinks listening thinks that's a good strategy. By the way, Alex, just between you and I, listeners, <laughs> one day we went to go cut down a Christmas tree. <laughs> so I finished cutting down this tree manually like a saw. And I've never done that before. <laughs> like I've never done anything like... T- prototypical manly and i i did it i got the tree down i'm sweating like a pig i'm covered in pine needles <laughs> driving home I, I i i figured out how to tie the tree to the car it's like you know out of the griswolds movie or whatever and then on the way home you're like oh we just have to stop for a uh, a photo shoot i'm like what <laughs> photo shoot and all of a sudden we're on set and i'm in a photo shoot my hair is nuts <laughs> i'm so uncomfortable i'm covered in pine needles like she's like, oh, now just uh, take your socks off. It's like a barefoot thing. My toenails are like dumb and dumber. It's like it wasn't something I needed to be prepped. And 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 half that and photo groomed. shoot too ended up being like, all right, guys, so look really romantic and stuff like that. It was that was funny. So I have, I had PTSD from that. I did. Though. No, I know you do. I know you do. So I need to trust you more. Well, here now knowing what it was like with Scarlett and you know we know her as a friend as well slightly uh better now anyway do you feel more comfortable working with her maybe working with her of course I'm cool just I need to I can't have the middle ground either let's talk about the shoot as it's happening or let's talk about it a week before Mm -hmm. and then I can kind of decide how I'm gonna look cool or whatever yeah honestly it was so good for me to have this time with scarlet because she was able just to take so many photos for me because it is so hard to do everything you need to do in a day as a mother and i like to do you know in-depth write-ups where i'm either bearing how i'm feeling in my emotions or where i can do some research and help people with a certain parenting issue so to be able to get that done do my parenting have time for a five minute break somewhere in the day i mean there's it's did so you hard. get all your parenting done <laughs> i got all my parenting <laughs> done but it's so hard for me to take photos like people listening it is so hard to set up a photo if i'm trying to take it with the girls then that's a nightmare 
And honestly, you don't, you don't want it to look like shit if you're using it to educate other people, right? You guys don't want to look at shitty photos. Instagram is a visual medium. I want it to have a level of aesthetic. And I'm working, learning here. <laughs> working with Scarlett was just amazing. It was so easy. And Shane, you did a great job. Like, did you once during that photo shoot feel weird? I always feel weird. Uh <laughs> Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, here's the thing, too. You lied to me. I could tell you had briefed Scarlett. Like, hey. Barely, barely. I could tell you had briefed her, though. Like, oh, husband's a little weird. And, she, you know, she was saying certain key words. Like, oh, we're, we're just going to do what you guys do. And I was like, ah, that's kind of the speech I gave Alex the night before. So I'm very perceptive in that way where I can I know back conversations that happen based on the behavior that's mm-hmm. happening in the room. And then I came to you. I go, did you tell Scarlett this? And you thinking I'd get mad went, no. Just lied no, to me. Because I barely, barely said anything. All I said was that Shane's not going to be in the bedroom scene. Bullshit. No, no, no. Basically, let's, let's it. move on here. Move let's, on. This is a good shoot. You look amazing. You look great, baby. <laughs> you look great, baby. I ha- I have a topic. No, oh, hit me. Okay. Do you ever, as a parent, get nervous that you're going to do something or not do something without realizing it? That negatively affects Lucy and Betty for the rest of their lives. So like for an example, I I wrote up a post today about, you know, just how the bad times come and go and how things can be so difficult. But I'd like to reminisce on the happy times and it just kind of is a good reminder that Mm -hmm. everything is fleeting. And then I had a friend message me and she kind of gave me an emotional series of voice notes saying that, oh my gosh, Alex, like I loved reading about how you and Shane comfort Lucy when she's having a tantrum and let her kind of sit in her feelings and, you know, just get to know her own emotions because my parents never did. And I had like emotional and mental problems at such a young age and they never nurtured that. Mm -hmm. And that fucked me up. And I was like, oh man, like, you know, this is something that we're doing kind of intuitively. But is there anything we're not doing intuitively that's going to fuck them up? Yeah, you, you never know that. Like, because you could just have one bad day and maybe it's just with them for the rest of their lives. Like, we talk about this in the Simon Rex interview, funnily enough. And I mentioned how when I was young learning to ride my bike, I was I was riding my bike and I couldn't pass this car. It was on the sidewalk, but with two driveways. There was a driveway closer to the house and a driveway on the other side of the sidewalk, but they were mm-hmm. parked too close. So I had a very little area to get by. Anyway, I kept falling on the car uh-uh. and my dad screamed at me, like screamed at me like you'd scream at someone if they cut you off in traffic and you had road rage. And every time I would hit it and I was so nervous and then I was just like, fuck, I'm, I, I don't want to learn one from anyone i don't trust anyone to teach me because uh, i feel like they're going to yell at me if i do something wrong so i just avoided ever getting advice from anyone Mm -hmm. or uh, an adult uh, authority i hated my entire life i didn't get my driver's license till i was 30 i hated school i hated principals i hated authority and the other day my dad I, i had to call him i never i never really called my dad but i called him and then he called me back and he was frustrated. He got a new phone and he started yelling. And it really gave me that like I'm six again type mm-hmm. feeling. And I was just like so bummed all day just thinking about yeah. my dad and anger and being yelled at. So I don't ever want to be that yelly dad. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and, 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 and you know, if like Lucy's learning, I don't want to yell at her when she's learning. Cause this was just one day in my life. Yeah. You know, right now it's like making me upset thinking I about know, it. I know. Yeah. I can tell. So I don't want to have that one bad day with her, you know? Mm-hmm. And especially at this point, you know, she's having tantrums mm-hmm. and kids like two year olds, three year olds, they have tantrums because they're feeling all these emotions so many so much of the time for the first time they're going through huge developmental changes like this week lucy is potty training that is a lot of pressure on her that's a lot of things that she didn't even think of and it's just a lot for a two-year-old to go through so of course she's gonna have meltdowns and temper tantrums and it's i have a friend who's a psychotherapist and she's been on this podcast before she's amazing jesse mears and she's talked to me before about you know just letting your kid kind of sit with that emotion and telling you telling your kid that you're there for them they're allowed to feel that and what always makes me feel better is that jesse reminds me that you know your kids they might be great at daycare they might be great with grandparents but then they'll tantrum and they'll give you attitude and they'll give you a hard time because they know it's a safe place to do that and that they know that they can kind of let their emotions go a little bit and that you'll still be there to love them and keep them safe and like let them feel all of the things that they need to feel and i think it's so important and i never considered that before having kids and even before Mm -hmm. lucy was at the age where she was starting to have you know these like wild like lucy's a passionate kid whether it's a good thing or a bad thing she really feels big feelings about whatever and uh so yeah so it, it can be difficult but i think it's so good that you and i are on the same page with just kind of letting her be in that moment and being with her for that experience. Do you know what I mean? Of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm thinking about it now. Maybe that's too, like getting yelled at like that as a kid is why I'm so adverse to conflict. Like, yeah. I mean, you and I have conflicts. Like, you know, you can't go get an ice cube tray without us getting in a little bit of an argument. <laughs> but uh, I mean, with people that I'm not super close with, the, the person I'm the meanest to is the, the person I love the most. And I think that's with most people. Yeah, but you're also not mean you're just uh, short-tempered yeah quick-tempered and that's what i mean yeah like yeah i definitely don't love it definitely don't like it and i have bad qualities too that you put up with and again you and my mom put up with my negative qualities the most and i think it's because i know for sure this is the way with my mom and with you too you just feel comfortable and you feel that level of safety so that you can just kind of unleash all the other shit that you have in your life on this one person and it's so unfair why do we do that it's so unfair i hate that i do that yeah the people i have conflicts with i'm always like how are you today because i'm like trying to win them over and and some (laughs) it's strange and my my good friend mike i'm always like we're always getting in fights like we're little kids or something but we we don't really anymore i guess covid helps too like distance (laughs) makes the heart grow fonder but let's get into our first interview simon rex fascinating person i have one thing to say about that i told my cousin today that simon rex is on this episode that we'll be releasing and she goes simon rex oh he is fucking good looking and then on one hand i'm like yeah he is and then on the other hand i was like hold on he looks like shane and then i got a little bit jealous well the thing is if people look him up they're going to be very infuriated that alex made that comparison and if simon's listening he's going to be very insulted but I, I'm very complimented. Thank you. You're a very good looking man. Oh, I like that. 
(laughs) (laughs) But thank you very much. But yeah, I think Simon is a fascinating guy. I align with him in the way he's curious. Mm -hmm. And uh, his his podcast is so interesting. It is so interesting. The guests he has. Like he had uh, this, there's this one guy that was in prison for 10 years. He just. I want to say that if you're interested in checking out Simon's podcast, so it's called Nervous Rex. Listen to the two episodes specifically. Listen to I Can't Sleep and listen to Coffee Face because there are two where it's just him kind of going off when he's just by himself mm-hmm. and it's just interesting to sit there as you know a person outside of it and listen to one person's steady stream of consciousness for a single hour if i don't agree with his opinions i'm always fascinated by yeah. his opinions but a lot of the time i do find myself aligning with him but before we get to simon let's tell everyone who we are supported by alex we are supported by routine deodorant is tricky the chemical kinds are questionable and the natural ones never keep the stink at bay except for routine yeah what i pause (laughs) and you say routine no i like it i like it and it is true their effective base is made with antimicrobial ingredients and stuff like dietary magnesium which release your armpits from the burden of those stinky stinky disgusting stress sweats and i will add (laughs) postpartum sweats you know i'm not a big liar and i could not do these reads if it wasn't true Routine is, honest to goodness, the best deodorant I've ever used. It is. We like their cream kind. So we have a little pot of cream deodorant. I had never used that before, and I'm I'm hooked on it. I really love it. They have other kinds? They do they? have sticks available. However, I like the cream. And I'm going to need a new pot soon because Shane has been dipping my cream deodorant. We use the one that's called Lucy in the Sky. What do you mean? Am I not allowed to dip it? No, you are, but I just we got to get another one soon. Okay. And they do have one called Blackberry Betty, so we could have one for each of the girls. So weird that it's both of our kids' names. I know. It's cool. They have a ton of sense. So check out Routine. Get in touch with yourself and what works with your body with one of their 16 unique scent blends in either a refillable glass jar like we have or a stick at routinecream.com. And if you use the promo code ThisFamilyTree10 at checkout, you'll get 10% off your entire order. Again, that's routinecream.com and ThisFamilyTree10. And we are also supported by... Mini Miosh. So they're a Toronto-based company that makes premium, organic, ethically made and sustainable kids and babies clothing. And it's the best looking clothing and the highest quality clothing that you could ever want. It's beautiful. Honestly, the second you get the package, everything's, you know, recyclable and reusable and you open it up, you see the clothes, you feel the clothes. You can just tell just by touching. And and I know that if you're buying things for your kids a lot, you know when something's going to last. And we have two girls. It's perfect. Anything we have for Lucy, we know it's going to last long enough to pass down to Betty. Absolutely. And a lot of the clothes are unisex. Mm-hmm. All, all the clothes are unisex. Hey, I'll throw a boy in a dress. What, what of it? 2020, baby. But they have the best basics for your littles. Timeless wardrobe staples that can be passed from kid to kid. Like Shane said, regardless of gender. They use GOTS certified organic cotton and low impact and non-toxic dyes. I so want to ask you what GOTS certified cotton is, but... Ask me later. (laughs) (laughs) Mini Miyash believes in quality over quantity, and they're on a mission to leave the planet better for our little ones than when they arrived on it. You can find the company online at minimiyash.com or at minimiyash on Insta and Facebook. Use the promo code thisfamilytree15 at checkout for 15% off. And again, that's minimiyash.com and thisfamilytree15. But now let's go to our interview with the incomparable 
I don't know what that means, but I'm <laughs> saying it. Simon Rex. Simon, we are so happy to have you here tonight. Thanks so much for joining us. I know it was, uh, you're a busy man. Tough go getting you, but we're so happy. <laughs> I'm not busy. I'm not busy. Oh, see, it's already beeping and annoying. And I told people don't call me and it's beeping. No, I thank you. I wish I was more busy. I'm not. So here we are. <laughs> well, I got to say, I like, are you a Rodman fan? I'm liking your hair right now. I, you know, this, I, everybody says it's a Rodman. I didn't think about it as a Rodman hair, but it is very Dennis Rodman. I just, uh, I did this YouTube show the other day and um, I did a barber show with this guy, Jeff. He has a show called Jeff's Barber or something like that. I forget his, Jeff Wittek is his name. Anyway, he's like, you want to do something crazy with your hair? I'll get you a hair color. So I said, yeah, I want tie dye leopard. So he did it. They did it. Oh, it's a good look. Would do you think you would have done this anyway if it wasn't a pandemic or because everything's on hold in terms of acting gigs? It's like so open to just be apocalyptic almost. That's exactly it. There's nothing I'm missing right now. And this is the time to do it. And it's the time to put smiles on faces. And every time I walk into a store or go, you know, wherever people come up and smile, they're like, oh, I love your hair. So it's kind of just like to lighten up the mood a little bit and bring a little color to such a dismal, dark time. So you talk about bringing smiles to people's faces. So I know you've been in an RV for the past little while and you just recently bought a house. Uh, and I was listening to uh, Coffee Face and I Can't Sleep, like both of them amazing podcasts. And you were talking about, you know, traveling through mid-America and going into gas stations and things and people give you crazy looks because you're wearing a mask and things like that. So where you are right now, I don't know where you bought your house. Do you feel that friendly vibe, that neighborly vibe? Yeah, yeah, I don't think it's it's weird because where I moved in the desert, which is about two hours east of Los Angeles, it's really different than Los Angeles, which is a very progressive, liberal kind of place. And then you come out here and it's a lot more, it's like, it's like you're in Texas out here, <laughs> which I love, you know, you sort of get like, straight rednecks in mm -hmm. pickup trucks and cowboys and then you get like hip hippies selling crystals and doing yoga so i kind of like the polarization of both worlds but there's definitely a lot more local obviously mask deniers you know science deniers which is mm -hmm. very frustrating for me it kind of consumes me so i i just kind of have this theory that's like it's just like you said when i talked about it it's just not worth i just see too many of these videos of people snapping and like getting violent, that it's just not worth calling someone out or confronting them as much as I want to. What's mm -hmm. the point? I'm not going to change anybody's mind. It was just going to make things worse. They're going to believe what they want to believe. And it's just very frustrating that we Americans are so in denial of, of uh, data and science. You guys are in Canada, right? Yeah. yeah. Toronto. Oh, okay. Yeah. I lived in Canada for a couple of years and you guys seem to be a lot more uh, grounded in reality. You know, it's a really <laughs> weird time in this country. It's kind of crazy, but I'm sure you guys are watching over there. Like, what the fuck are these guys doing? I think the whole world is. Yeah. And honestly, like I, I just, I just talked to one of my coworkers today and he had his a child go back to daycare and he just called me to say, my kid has COVID, I think, because mm -hmm. there was a COVID outbreak in the daycare. So, you know, just when you think it's done, that's when it comes back rearing its ugly head. My wife has lupus. We have two small children and we've been like so careful because she's yeah. immunocompromised. If something happens, she's, you know, kaput. Yeah, she's, <laughs> she's kaput. But I wanted to ask you about that. I had this question yeah. actually much further down the line. I feel like, and I could be wrong, that you introduced me to certified health nut. 
And that was a person I kind of, I was like, oh, look at this guy. He's in his mid fifties or something like that. He's ripped, super handsome dude. I, I wanted to like, uh, you know, get some of the health tips from him. But then it seemed like once COVID hit, he became a mask denier and more of a, a, a conspiracy theorist. And I was wondering, and we, we wonder this on our pod too, can you have someone who you vehemently disagree with one still maintain a friendship Two, have them on the podcast and have a discussion well that's a great question and that's something i think that's been the hardest thing for me to deal with is that i'm losing friends to conspiracy theories and just uh like these kind of things uh at least i'm feeling that we're pulling away because of our beliefs whereas before it was almost like uh you could you could have disagreements about politics and still get along and it wouldn't get so heated. And now for the first time, I think it's spilling into your moral compass and your mm. ethics and all these other things that fall into like, not just politics, but other people's health. And, and I don't subscribe to these conspiracy theories or to a lot of the stuff like people like Troy subscribe to. And I actually had to have him take me off of his Instagram. It was really uncomfortable. I hit him up and I was like, dude, I, you know, if I go onto your Instagram, right under your name is uh is my face and right. it says i forget what the word was it was something like you know um the word was something like co-signed by and then it was me and i said can you take me off because i don't agree with the rhetoric that you're spewing right now like i just was doing your channel when it was health tips and fun and light and now you're yelling at trump rallies and i just don't agree with it and i don't mm. want to be a part of it and to be honest it affected our friendship you know we're still cool but this is happening with a few of my friends where i'm just like i can't i can't be okay with this yeah. like i don't know it's very difficult man it's, it's the hardest thing for me actually of, of all this stuff it's it's the hardest thing for me is seeing my friends get body snatched by these online sort of you know conspiracy theories it's maddening I had to go for a run just now to get my head away from it all because I'll sit here on my phone and delete social media, then reopen it again and delete it for two days because it's so bad to see what your friends are spewing. Yeah. And then now, like, it's fucking tough right now, you know? How do you feel like you have a podcast when it comes to actually, like, let's say the friendship has suffered, but would you hash it out on your podcast and kind of because there's a debate like why give someone a platform who has such what a lot of people would consider crazy thoughts, but also sometimes it's good to have a civil discourse and, and disagree. So where do you fall on that side of things? I think I'm not I, I wish I was more controlled in my emotions. I tend to I, I wish I took a debate class or something because even podcasting is kind of new for me and I'm just figuring that mm -hmm. out. But if it comes down to someone like Troy, who's, you know, a smart guy, I just don't believe with his, I don't agree with his belief systems, but I have certain friends um, who I would love to convince otherwise. But the point I'm making is I'm not going to change anybody's mind. Uh, that's what I've finally come to is that it's not my job to police or change anybody's mind. And, and I don't even want to get into a debate about it because mm -hmm. I get too upset. I, it's, it's a fault of mine. Like I, I would get I would take things personal and I get, I, I need to work on that before I have somebody on, I guess it's not live and I could do it and, and see how it turned out. Mm -hmm. But I, I get too emotional. I get too emotional. And that's a problem of, of mine. I would get really upset and I don't want to unravel. And I don't know why I take it so personal. It's something I got to work on. I get, I get really worked up, you know, I'm too sensitive. Mm -hmm. 
So I think that like at least the people that I know that are kind of going off the deep end, like so many of them, like you said, are smart, you know, they seem like they have a good head on their shoulders and then they're getting totally warped in this conspiracy shit. But I think it's, you know, how different people respond to everything that's crazy that's happening this year and they're just choosing to go all in one belief or another. But how do you seem to be coping? Because you made a big move too, like you used a lot of your savings, bought an RV and just kind of went off the grid for a while. Yeah. Well, the RV, luckily I bought the RV a couple of years ago and I just happened to have it to take off because right now there's not much going on for work and I could mm-hmm. podcast from the road. So I was just, just like, well, this is perfect. I think I need to travel um, because uh, I can't just sit around and um, I'll go crazy. Like I need to move, I need to have new, like be stimulated. So the RV has been such a blessing to be able to just travel and go to places in the country I've never been. I actually went right up to the Canada border. I was on the Montana Canada border, so close to the border that my phone said, welcome to Canada, dating, <laughs> data roaming will apply. I said, fuck, I'm not in Canada. And now my phone's gonna be expensive, but I, think that tra- for me, traveling is something that I do to keep me sane and uh, stimulated. And if I'm in one place too long, I start to go kind of nutty, even mm-hmm. if I'm not in a pandemic. So, and where I live out here in the desert, I wish I could show you, but I'm I'm 25 minutes from the closest town. So I'm in the yeah. middle of nowhere, like down a dirt road and I'll mm-hmm. spend days on end here. And you kind of, you know, lose it a little mm-hmm. bit, to be honest. Like you realize how much we're social creatures mm-hmm. and uh you know my girlfriend's up north for a couple of weeks and she's doing her school and work stuff so we're doing a little break for a couple of weeks and uh when you spend time alone I, th- I just feel sorry for my friends who are you know in their 40s and single and living in an apartment and yeah. for six months they've just been kind of sitting around ordering food and not having that social life it's um it's got to be tough. So I think I've just been really lucky because I got the RV in my house out here in the middle of nowhere. So mm-hmm. I'm really fortunate. And I still feel like it's affecting me. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. I don't think you'd be human if you're not affected by it. It's, it's just uh, it's just so crazy that all this time, like to look around and think that we're on the verge of some type of civil unrest and you could just feel it in the air. There's just this weird tension between Americans that I never thought it would come yeah. to like the enemy, quote unquote, is your neighbor because of a political belief. It's just so crazy. The whole thing's nuts. I don't know how it's going to play out, but I'm definitely uh, not, I'm not going to be around November to January. I'm leaving. Right. I don't want to be here during the election. I got a bad feeling about it. I don't care who wins. Oh, I do care who wins, but I don't know who will win. But either way, I think people are going to be upset by whoever wins. And you just see what's happening in this country. It's just like, fuck, man. So I think I'm going to go to Mexico. I'm going to try to go to Mexico or something for a while. I don't know, somewhere. Yeah, your lifestyle uh, really fascinates me, especially your personality type. You have such a gift of gab. And I find like um, someone like you to move to the desert. And I think like, okay, he's such a social creature. He can talk forever about anything on any subject. Is it that you can entertain yourself and be alone or why else would you move into just the middle of nowhere when it seems like people fuel you? 
Yeah, they do. And I'm an only child, so I'm used to entertaining myself so I can be alone for and I've traveled by myself and I've always kind of been on my own in life. So I, I could be alone. It's not that hard for me. I think it's harder for other people. And now with these things, you're never really alone. You yeah. know, you can always <laughs> FaceTime or call your friends or be online and you feel connected to people. But uh, when I bought this little house in the desert, it, the goal was to come here on the weekends and rent it out when I'm not using it. Mm -hmm. So it was like an investment mm -hmm. and it was something, you know, just to get out of the city. I was just like been in LA for 22 years. I lived in San Francisco and New York and LA my whole life. I'm just like, I'm done with the city. I just want to be in nature in a small little house out in the middle of nowhere. So I found it. And then this whole pandemic hit right after. So I ended up moving out here full time, but the plan was never to move here. Yeah. I was just going to come here and use it on occasion as an investment. And now I'm here full time because I don't want to be in LA. LA is just really hostile and kind of sketch right now, mm -hmm. you know? Right. Yeah. I was watching a, uh, an interview with you and you're talking about how, uh, when you go from flying private to coach, or, or sorry, the hardest part of flying private is going back to coach. It seems like yeah. though you've obviously, you, you know, you, when your career was like at its height, you were living this amazing lifestyle. It feels like you've chosen to live this more simple lifestyle. Is it because of Burning Man or is it just because of you've realized the Hollywood lifestyle maybe is bullshit, but going back to like quote unquote coach, is that a, a choice you've made or what, what made you come to that decision? I think it's money. I think there was a time where I was making so much money and I was around the like people like Charlie Sheen and Paris Hilton who had private jets. So I would, you know, go on them. I would never personally pay for that. I wouldn't even pay for first class. I think I've only paid for first class maybe once in my life because it just seems like such a waste of money to me. I'll just take a Xanax and sleep anyway. It's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, to me, it doesn't make sense to spend. And I'm not recommending anyone listening to Xanax. That's just my time travel uh, self-medication. <laughs> But I, yeah, no, it's more like, it's kind of like one of these things where you get spoiled, you know, you kind of see like, oh shit, like flying private is just so nice mm -hmm. that uh, it's just like those things where you go back to coach, you're like, wait a minute, I thought I was a private guy now, but you realize you're not. I just have friends who are of that echelon mm -hmm. who fly private only, like Charlie Sheen won't fly commercial, uh, he only flies private. So someone like him, I think, is a little more spoiled. I just sort of had tastes of it, but I've never been from money. So for me, it was more of a like just a novelty. And I yeah, I just couldn't afford it. But yeah, there was a time where I was sort of living that lifestyle a lot more. And now there's just not as much money to be made, mm -hmm. you know, uh, in show business or anything like that. So yeah, it's but it's good to eat the humble pie. And it's good to be I, I mean, I don't I'm not a diva. I don't need to go private it's just nice yeah <laughs> is the lifestyle though all it's cracked up to be like everyone in hollywood they move there the, the goal is let's get to this apex is it once you're there is it what you thought it would be uh actually that's a good question and i think uh, i heard jim carrey once say I, you know i got to the top and then the view wasn't so good and you could see someone like jim carrey canadian he sort of had i don't know what happened if he did psychedelics or he had some type of spiritual <laughs> awakening but he seems to shifted into some other uh you know way of life and a way of thinking that he didn't want the fame or the money and because it, it really doesn't make you happy mm -hmm. i mean it's a you know happiness is a byproduct of like so many things in life but it certainly isn't fame or money like i just had a buddy of mine on my podcast 
named Nate Bozong, pro snowboarder, and he got a million dollars for starting the company Neff. And in one year, he spent it all. And he said it was the most miserable year of his life mm-hmm. is when he was a millionaire. And now he doesn't have any money. And he's like, I'm happy now. So it's just sort of one of those things where I don't associate money with happiness. And fame is such a weird mm-hmm. thing. Like the little amount of fame I've had, it, I don't know. It's just not, it's a weird thing to want. You know, I don't know why yeah. so many people want it. And I feel like now with social media, everybody's famous now. Yeah. Everybody's got a million followers now. I just, I can't, you know, it used to kind of be a hand select group of people that Hollywood chose, but now everyone's fucking famous. So mm-hmm. it sort of lost its magic to me and I just don't care about it so much, I guess. So now in the, the place that you're in, not doing all that and living on your own, you were talking a lot about um, people not having purpose right now and people kind of losing their purpose. I mean, you're you're working music gigs, acting gigs, that's slowing down. So how are you finding purpose right now? Just the podcast is all I really got. Honestly, the podcast is giving me something to do and, and having talks like this and connecting with people and putting your phone away for an hour and really, you know, mm-hmm. having good quality conversations and learning to listen more and just uh, feel like it's a lost thing is talking for 30 minutes straight without being distracted is a, is a good exercise in social behavior. And I just, <laughs> I feel like the only thing I got building, I'm um, just kind of putting my money into this little property that I got in the desert. I want to just kind of make a special retreat of mm-hmm. sorts, multifunctional retreat, whether it's a, a yoga retreat or a, someone wants to come here and you know write a book or if they want to, come here and do mushrooms for the weekend, whatever the fuck you want it to be. So my purpose right now is going into creating the space for that and the podcast, which is a lot more fulfilling than running around Hollywood chasing the dream of, you know, hire me for a TV show. Mm -hmm. It's like, I just don't even care anymore. You know, it's Mm -hmm. just a different chapter of my life where, uh, yeah, it's kind of nice to not care. It's very liberating. Yeah, your podcast, I really do love it. Nervous Rex, obviously, we'll talk about it at, at the very end when, when we're signing up. But I noticed it went through a, a not a weird period, but a, a little transitional period where you had a co-host. Yeah. And I don't know if I like that change just because there's something about you just yeah. talking into your iPhone, doing these intros with your stream of consciousness that I feel like you do it so much better than so many other people who like someone like me, I need somebody to bounce ideas off of to have a conversation. Uh, I was wondering why did that come about for you and how did that dissolve and just go back to kind of its roots? So when I started my podcast a little over a year ago, I was with this very big company called Cast Media. They have like the biggest podcast on the planet, you know, and they're nice, they had a nice shiny studio and an engineer and they got the built in advertising. So I started off there and you're sort of under the control of higher powers that work in a corporate structure. So, you know, it wasn't really up to me fully to decide the direction of the show because they run the, sh- yeah. the, the ship mm-hmm. over there. So they suggested to get my numbers up because all they care about is numbers and advertising and money because they're a big company. And my numbers were good. Like they said, I was one of their fastest rising podcasts, but they just wanted more. And they say, we really think that by you having a female co-host, it'll bring in more female listeners and open it up. And that structure seems to work for us. So we tried it and I hired this girl that I know who's really funny. And, uh, you know, we did a few episodes together and then it just didn't work out with me in this podcast company. So I basically, we agreed to just 
sever ties. Mm. And I said, I'm just going to go do the podcast on my own and just do it on the road and just have it be, like you said, my iPhone. It doesn't matter if the quality is perfect. It's more just like me being me and without them telling me what to do. So it just sort of fizzled out because it, the chemistry didn't really work in that company. And so I just went my own separate way. So thank you for saying that because I agree. I think it's better when it's just me being a weirdo and not having anyone tell me what to do. Yeah, absolutely. So it's funny because I, I chain totally got me into nervous wrecks and it is so much fun to just sit there and kind of be totally immersed in your stream of consciousness, you know, when you're sitting out under the stars or whatever it is. And I, I'm dying to ask you this question because then I can't sleep. You were talking about how, you know, you're traveling through wherever the hell in America and there's people around you with different beliefs, crazy beliefs, and they feel so adamant about them that you're like, look, I'm a left-leaning Jew from California. <laughs> they could pull me out of my RV and shoot me for all I know. And you're living in the desert now. So it's, you're very isolated. Do you think that it's actually possible for somebody to go and do that? Like, do you think people at this point in the US would do that? And do you have a gun? Because I'd be, I don't, I do not believe in guns, but I would carry one because mm -hmm. I'd be terrified of that. Yeah. You know, so I'm Jewish. So, you know, not that long ago, 80 years ago, people were pulled out of their house in Europe for being uh, Jewish and for nationality. And I don't think it's going to come to that, but there's this weird existing anxiety that Jewish people have where we're like, fuck, it wasn't that long ago that great grandma was pulled away just for being a Jew. Like mm -hmm. it's in our DNA, like downloaded the trauma of our ancestors and just sort of being, you know, there's so much anti-Semitism in the world. It's really ugly and it's really you know abundant in America and, I feel that uh, it's just sort of this existing fear that, you know, it's possible that now with technology, they could just see who you are. Cause I've done like my DNA test online and I've, you know, I've been outspoken on social media with my views and it's like, well, I mean, shit, 75 years ago, wasn't that long ago, really that mm -hmm. that happened. I mean, it's fucking crazy. Like, I don't think it's going to come to that, but yes, I got a gun in case, it does happen. Yeah. And I've been doing uh, training with the gun. I have this Navy SEAL uh, friend of mine who's a cop who's been helping me like learn because I'm not a gun person either. Yeah. And now I am just because of these crazy times. I feel like you'd be a fool not to protect yourself. So I basically got a couple of guns and I've been learning gun safety, how to shoot, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. It's just like it's just really weird. But yeah, I have a gun and I don't think it's going to happen, but I'd rather be safe than sorry, oh, you know. Yeah. All right, Simon, we're just going to take a quick break to let our listeners know that we are supported by Seedlip, the world's first non-alcoholic spirit. Seedlip is crafted without alcohol, sugar, or calories and solves the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking. And I am not drinking right not now drinking. and my dilemma is solved and I feel like a better man for it. <laughs> no hangovers, no weird afternoon woozies if you want to have one in the middle of the day. <laughs> I like that term. Okay. Thank you. But Seedlip is crafted using a unique process that involves traditional copper distillation of botanicals. In each of Seedlip's three variants, you have Spice 94, Garden 108 and Grove 42 offer something different for every type of drinker. They pair perfectly well with a splash of tonic like we're having tonight or 
a fancier cocktail, which you can check out in the Seedlip cocktail book for more complex recipes. So head over to seedlipdrinks.com or .ca and follow at seedlip underscore NA, that's seedlip underscore NA as in North America, on Instagram for more ways to enjoy. And now back to our interview with Simon Rex. I wanted to ask about your career. I probably should have opened with this question just to give some people some context in the off chance they don't know. But you started your career as an MTV VJ. Then you transition to kind of like a a TV star in sitcoms. Then you become kind of like a a movie star, obviously, with the scary movie franchise, three, four, and five. Then you become a Vine star, I would say, and then a rapper. Maybe I'm conflating the two, but... Yeah. So you you've done so much in your career at the and at such a high level where you've succeeded. What do you think is your best skill or talent? Oh God, I guess it's hard to say. But the best response that I've had seems to be when I'm just being like a silly, mm-hmm. like comedian doing funny Instagram or Vine videos, or when I did scary movie. It seems to just be comedy. Like I don't know. Some people might say they like my music, but my acting sucks. And someone might say, oh, your music's horrible, but you were funny and scary movies. So I don't really, I, I don't know if it's up to me to decide. I just like doing different things mm-hmm. and uh, just putting your eggs in different baskets and always reinventing yourself. Because if you just do one thing in this business, it's probably not going to work out. Like if you just are, I'm just an actor and I'm not going to do social media mm-hmm. and I can't do music. Like I just want to try it all, you know? Yeah. Uh I'm just a curious kind of personality and and now it's podcasting. You know what I mean? I don't even know what it'll be next, but right now I'm having fun doing the podcast. So it's hard for me to say, but I guess the response is just any form of comedy. People seem to like it. My comedy makes them laugh. Like people just come up and smile and be like, man, you make me laugh. And I don't even know what they're talking about, but that's all I really want to do is make people laugh. You know? Is it hard uh, being kind of woke, which you clearly are, but knowing that comedy and being a goofball and being ridiculous and sexual innuendo and all that stuff is inherently funny. Is it hard to find that balance when you're kind of both things like very crude and politically incorrect, but also the real you is very politically correct? Yeah, I don't know. Like, I guess for whatever reason my sense of humor is really immature and i don't know why it just seems to work like i i remember some of my vine friends who have millions of followers who are now youtube stars they're like man you got to clean it up you'll make so much more money and i don't know i never really chased the money i just always liked just doing my immature silly like juvenile humor it just seems to work because it's so dumb and to me, it's just funny because it's so dumb and it's 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 ironic. Like it's me being sarcastic. Like it, the point is, is that it's so stupid. Uh, and I guess I'm woke in the sense that I'm, you know, aware of certain things that are happening and I'm a bit outspoken about them. But I uh, yeah, I don't I don't want to come off like too preachy or woke. I'm more just curious and, and uh, I don't really know. So I want to ask questions and. I just know what I'm not, which is a conservative, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, type of person. I'm more of a progressive. I'm from San Francisco. I grew up around hippies and gay people and black and Asian and white. Like, I'm just used to it all. So I guess I just, again, like I lean that way. Mm -hmm. So Shane brought up, you know, a lot of careers uh, that you did because you are so multifaceted. But I wanted to ask about one, um, and that is your very brief 
porn career when you were a really young guy. So you had a series of videos, like masturbation videos uh, that were produced and came out. So you were young. How did you how did you get into that? Like, was that something that you that you wanted to do and that you sought out? No, I was 18 years old and I was living with a girl that was about 25 and she was doing magazines like Penthouse and Hustler. And I was working at a potato sack factory at the time in Oakland and I was making $10 an hour and going to community college. And I meet this beautiful girl and she's like, I'm a model. I met her in San Francisco at a rave. And next thing you know, I move in with her in LA and next thing you know, I'm living with her and her three-year-old son who's calling me daddy and we're living in an apartment and I got no job. And she's like doing these dirty magazines and she's like, Hey, you got to help pay the rent. And I was just weighing over my head. So I was like, okay, that's hot. Like, yeah. So it was just kind of like I was young and dumb and didn't know any better and had no idea I'd be going into show business. I was just a couple months before working as a fucking forklift driver. And you know, it was just sort of a mistake that I made when I was younger, mm-hmm. I mean, I think everyone in, in their teenage years does dumb shit, but mine was just a little more publicly viewed, you know? So that's all that was. Were you surprised it didn't affect your career more? I feel like it's just like you owned up to it or whatever. Not that you even need to. Who cares? It was just masturbating like everyone does. But it wasn't like a thing that I feel like plagued your career. You just kept it moving. We're a VJ and everything else just kept rolling. Or am I totally mistaken? No, you're right. Well, it depends. There's some conservative clients that didn't fuck with me like Disney. I remember I booked a Disney movie and uh, it was like a big movie with uh, Steve Martin and all these big actors. I can't remember the name right now. And then after I booked it, Disney was like, oh, we can't have you uh, associated with us because of your past. We're too clean for that. Mm -hmm. And then it was a commercial I booked once for Crest that was Procter & Gamble, which is a very conservative Mm -hmm. American company. So there's been a couple of jobs that I couldn't do because of it. But, you know, for the most part, 95% of jobs I've been able to do because nobody really gives a shit. And I Mm -hmm. just think America is very sexually uptight and it's just sort of other countries don't work Mm -hmm. like trip on it so much. But America is very like, just sexually frustrated mm-hmm. and like it's just you could show violence all day on TV, but you can't mm-hmm. show a baby's butt or a breast, but you could right. show someone <laughs> yeah. getting murdered. It's just like a weird cultural thing for us. But for yeah. the most part, it hasn't like you said, it hasn't plagued me. I've been able to work around it. And I don't know. It's just like it's kind of like I, I don't want to jinx anything, <laughs> but I feel like all these people in Hollywood right now are having all of their dirt come out and fuck them up. Right. Mm-hmm. I feel like all my shit's kind of just out there. And like I got it over with when I was younger and like I sleep at night knowing like my shit's out there and yeah. whatever, you know. Yeah. I actually had a question um, still just about those kind of early days in those videos, because I'm just I'm kind of fascinated with the situation. <laughs> And not not with the videos, but um, so you were with this girl and that kid mm-hmm. and you, you know, you made a real risky move and by well, doing him, this. It wasn't risky because no, he didn't know. But the thing is, it's it's changed so much. Right. Because like that was VHS days. Now everybody can check it out within two clicks, within five mm-hmm. seconds. I know I did. But <laughs> <laughs> but um, like, does that change things for you and does that you know cause any regret in that yeah you know there'll be times where like i I get these weird moments and out in life where you know i'll be in a restaurant and i can hear somebody saying is that the guy from did it and then i'll see like everyone at the tables like googling me and i'm just sitting there i'm like great 
Like, it's just, there's no privacy and people are just, are so like, you know what I mean? I can just tell what's happening. But then I, I go through this thing in my head where I'm like, mm-hmm. well, maybe they're not even looking at you. Are you, you know, get over yourself. But then like they are, and I could tell and who knows what they're pulling up. So you always just got to sit there and just like deal with it. And it could be really annoying because people just are kind of rude and pushy mm-hmm. and, and nosy and Mm-hmm. So I've learned to get over that a long time ago. Like I just have to not give a fuck. What about that kid? Like you were, so if you were like a father figure to him, like what happened with that? Because you took a huge step. So that kid was three years old and yeah. uh, I was just in way over my head. I was 18. I was in no position to, I don't have kids now and I'm 46. Like kids, that's a big deal. Like, you know, I, I may still have them. I got a couple years left before I think, you know, you see a lot of men still have kids later in life. Like Mick Jagger had one at 72 and he probably got some toxic balls. So I think I'm okay. But so the kid was just a baby and you know, basically is a three-year-old mm-hmm. kid. And uh, me and the girl didn't work out because I took her to an audition. She was trying to be a model mm-hmm. and she's a beautiful girl. And she had this scar on her face, which was hot. She had the scar <laughs> across her cheek. And at the time there was no Photoshop and she always tried to get real modeling jobs. And they would say, Oh, your scar, we can't use you. And she was drop dead gorgeous. And one day I'm sitting in the waiting room and she's trying to be a model. And they said, sorry. They're like, well, what about him? And she's like, Oh, he's not a model. That's my boyfriend. And they're like, come in here. And then I got the job. Next thing you know, I'm flying to Milan to do like a modeling job for some company. I get signed to this big modeling agency. So I didn't even, it wasn't by design. Like that's what she wanted. Mm -hmm. So me and her never worked out. She got mad that I got the job and I'm like, I don't even care. And then, uh, that kid, I, I basically went off to Europe. We broke up and which is probably a good thing. And then I remember fa- my buddy kept telling me, you got to get on Facebook. You got to get on Facebook. I'm like, fuck, I don't want Facebook. It's just not, it seems too, I don't like Facebook. So he's like, sat me down and we opened an account. And the first person to hit me up was that kid. He was like 22 years old and he had a beard and he was a full man. He's like, remember me? I was the little kid with it. And I was like, fuck this, delete. Like, I don't want this. Like, no, no, all these people that were kind of out of my life immediately. He was like one of three people that found me on Facebook. And I was like, fuck this shit. You can kind of like avoid shit on Twitter and Instagram. So, yeah, that's why I don't I have a Facebook that my manager runs for me, but I don't use Mm -hmm. Facebook Mm -hmm. because it scares me. That one's a weird one. Yeah. Do you think you the reason you don't have kids now is maybe you had that experience so early in life? Like for me, my dad yelled at me when I was learning to ride my bike. My dad has a crazy temper and it made me never want to be taught anything or get my driver's license because I was so that was so embedded in my mind. So I'm wondering, since you had an early fatherhood experience, were you like, fuck this and just kind of avoided it? You know, I never thought about that being part of it. Uh, but that could very well be, I think it's more like your childhood trauma. Like, I think we all have so much childhood shit. We haven't worked out that we don't realize we're just walking around as wounded children from things we never resolve. And I think for me, mine is abandonment issues because my dad left when I was two, never paid child support was just kind of like not involved in my life at all. And so I think if anything, that would be more the reason would become, I don't want to be like that. So it's probably easier to 
not bring someone into this world and possibly hurt them or leave them. Like that's probably the psychological reason. Mm -hmm. And also I've just kind of, I'll be honest, like I'm a selfish guy. Like I want to just up and go to Bali for two months tomorrow. Like it's hard for me to even have a dog. Like I had a dog for 15 years in my life. I was so neurotic about the dog. Like everything was making sure the dog was okay. And uh, sometimes I like just to just be free of the responsibility. Mm-hmm. But as I get older, I'm like, oh, well, I think that would be a nice chapter. You know, it's just like it's the biggest deal, the biggest thing you'll ever do in your life. So I don't I don't take it lightly. I see mm-hmm. too many people just having kids like no big deal. And then they're just like, don't do it. Like I got friends of mine who are like, don't do it. It's bullshit. Like <laughs> it's not what it's cracked out to be. And then I got some people who are like, oh, it's the best. You got to do it. So I think it's one of those things that just kind of happens, you know. It's meant to be. It'll happen. I feel like it's one of those things where it's kind of both. Like, yeah. don't do it. Like, I'm in hell right now, but it is the best thing too. But I, I you mentioned you your guys fa- have kids too. Oh, two, yeah. Oh no way! You guys are so young. When did you have them? At twelve? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, and we're not young. Uh, but we just had our second child two months ago. So we have a two year old and then a two month old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They in the other room? Oh, they're sleeping. Yeah, they're they're napping right now. And we have my father in law is here right now, yeah. so he's our emergency contact if anything hits the fan. Shit. <laughs> oh, that's great. oh, thanks. Uh, but I know. Congratulations. You, thank thank you. you so much. But I know you did reconcile with your father later in life. Was that yeah. hard for you, like, to to come to that? Yeah, we actually did acid together. No. How crazy is that? Wow. I did acid with my dad. He's a real hippie, and. uh you know, he, I sent him some in the mail. <laughs> so crazy <laughs> saying it just sounds crazy. Like most people are like, what? Uh, I sent him some acid in the mail, which is very illegal. And um, he had been in a car accident with his wife. So they wanted to heal. And he's like a real hippie guy. So he wanted some LSD to heal. So I sent him some. And then I was out there on the East Coast in North Carolina where he lives. And I was on tour with Mickey Avalon and I had a day off. So I drove to see him. He's like, hey, do you want to do some of that acid you sent me? And I was like, no. And I was like, well, fuck. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. And we did it. And, you know, we spent a day together and he told me all this crazy shit that I never knew about his dad and that side of the family, which I never knew about. So that was a good healing thing. And I had some other things I did to kind of work it out with him. So now, you know, me and my dad are cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're cool. And, you know, I love my dad and he's like a cool guy. He was just never really a good dad, but he's mm-hmm. like a cool dude. And when I hang out with him as adults, it's fine. Um, but I think you can't make up for not being around for your childhood. Like there's no, it's too late. Like we could be cool as much as we want now, but there's no way he can make up for never being a father figure for those formative years, you Mm -hmm. know? So do you think like with all this shit that you kind of went through, like, were you a good kid or were you a a problem kid? And do you think that's how you kind of developed your personality now? Mm -hmm. I was a problem kid for sure. I was in therapy when I was really young and I was always getting suspended from school. My mom, I was a nightmare for my mom because I was an only child. She was basically had to raise me herself and she'd be at work and I was kind of left to my own devices. And I kind of was just, you know, a troubled, like, I mean, I, but everyone around me was kind of a punk kid at that age. Like I look at that age and for teenage boys, you're just the worst. Like you're mean. You think it's funny to be mean. And like, I look back and I was just such a little prick. But, um, yeah, I was definitely a handful and I think that's, yeah, I'm sure it did form my personality. I kind of like my mom just let me do whatever I want. Mm -hmm. So I think that definitely has formed me being a weirdo and a Mm -hmm. silly guy. Yeah. 
for sure. I've always wanted therapy to kind of help me and my like demons or whatever you call them. But when I showed up to therapy, it was a lot of, and how does that make you feel? And I was kind of like, well, I'm, I'm here so you can tell me, like, I want you to reconcile my feelings for me. And I feel like I never got any answers. Do you find therapy helpful? And is there an end to it? Or is this like a lifelong process? You know, there's, I think therapy, like trying on a pair of shoes, you got to just find the right one. And that's the tricky part. And I've had plenty of shitty therapists and I've had a couple of good ones. Uh, the one I currently have right now, I like, he's, he's a cool guy. Um, he's kind of like an old hippie and he's just, is. Uh, I just get along with them. We have a thing that seems to, you kind of want, you want to like your therapist mm -hmm. and I did something called EMDR therapy that was very effective. It stands for um, eye motion desensitization, EMD remission, <laughs> something like that, EMDR. It's a form of therapy used for uh, post-traumatic stress for soldiers that come back from war and they were just in like war and then they come back and they're sitting around in Michigan and they're just like, I'm going to go crazy. I'm just yeah. at Starbucks now. What's going on? So the therapy was made for soldiers, but it can also be used to access like childhood trauma. And it's this strange form of like, you follow a pencil with your eyes while you're talking about stuff and you use these stimulation pads. They're called like a, like electro stim stimulation pads that while you're talking about something, it's bringing up these binary things and uh, bi binaural wave music, all this crazy shit. And it's just sort of accesses things that you need to address. So it's sort of, sort of like a shortcut, you know, mm. uh, therapy. So, so that was pretty effective. Um, but that's something you just do for like a series of 10 in like three months. You don't do that forever. You kind of just do that, access some stuff, and then you can work it out in other therapy. And then, so I think it's just different for everyone. You know, I have some people I try to tell to go to therapy and they're like, not for me. It's like, all right, well, I think we all could use it. You just got to find the right one. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask, because you are kind of on the forefront, I feel, of different wellness trends and I know you recently spoke to the guy from Conspirituality and yeah. I want to know your take because you've tried different things. Like, what do you think is total bullshit? Like this, you know, form of therapy worked for you. And what did you find that actually works? Like I've been reading up things and I get, I get so tempted to try things like taking inulin to prevent cancer. And yeah, like putting... I'm, I'm taking CBD and I've yeah. heard you discuss that before. I'm wondering, yeah, your thoughts on things like CBD and whatnot. So what's bullshit? What works? Yeah, I think, I mean, I really don't know much, but I know that a lot of supplements and things like CBD are kind of snake oil and the supplement industry is so big and there's so much bullshit out there that I think the few things that I've experienced that work like breath work, mm -hmm. I think really works to kind of access a state of, you know, uh, you know, it's just, you have it all the time, like cold water, like Wim Hof, I, that yeah. stuff worked for me personally, like yeah. cold water and breath work simply is like science that's not really like a supplement the cbd from what i understand from the my friends in the weed industry are like if you're taking cbd you need some thc in it for it to work like if you're just taking plain cbd it's kind of a placebo which mm -hmm. i guess then it's working for you but i know that i worked in the weed industry for a bit with like weed maps and these companies and they're like yeah if it's cbd no thc it, it doesn't really work you need a little thc in there for it to have that effect that they promise. And then there's stuff like, you know, I don't know, like I'm always trying shit and I want to believe in so much stuff, but like, 
I really think that there's just so much bullshit out there mm -hmm. that it's hard to sift through and know what's real. I guess it's different for everybody. Some people might react to breath work totally differently and be like, it does nothing for me. Mm -hmm. For me, it works. Or like, uh, yeah, I mean, if the CBD is working for you and it makes you feel like you're sleeping better, then at the end of the day, it's working, I guess. Yeah. I, I don't really know enough to speak on it. Like, I just think that there's a lot of bullshit out there and a lot of people making money off of, you know, people that are recently sober who want to try something new or, you know, sitting around wanting to take preventative measures for, like you said, for cancer. I just, I just don't know. I, I, I just don't know. What's your, for the lack of a better term, secret for staying in such seemingly uh, great shape? Like, uh, for instance, I was watching your American Ninja Warrior audition. And I was like, oh, there's a 22-year-old man auditioning. And I looked at the date. I was like, oh, he's like 38 here. Like, how do you stay so well conditioned when your image is that of a guy who's always partying? Well, th that was the thing. That was a persona. Like, I did party, but I think I just didn't do the... I didn't do the drugs like people think I did coke because I did a song called 1980 but I really never liked cocaine mm -hmm. I never really was a drinker I was more just like smoked weed and occasionally popped a couple pills and like I think that persona is a misunderstanding but I honestly think it just could be like my lifestyle like I'm tra I travel a lot I not to be a dick but I don't have kids so I could spend <laughs> all my time and energy like on myself like yeah. you know what I mean uh I feel like I'm the kid. You know what I mean? I think just staying the trick in life is to just stay youthful. And it's kind of hard right now in these trying times to just be silly and funny. Like I struggle with it because times are kind of serious right now. But for the most part, um, I think not growing up is the trick, mm -hmm. you know? Was yeah. was that a serious audition? Because I, I found it really hard to tell because it was really impressive, but you were kind of walking this line where it was almost like you were making fun of it, but not at the same time. Yeah, I was making fun of it, but I got the show and I went and did it. It was kind of a funny story. So uh, someone hit me from NBC because I was like tweeting about the show. And they're like, hey, you should send us a tape. Maybe you could do the show. So I sent the tape that you saw and they fucking picked me and wow. I go to do the show and I get there like 4 p.m. They had the whole thing set up and I'd been training and going to the facility and running up the wall and I was learning all the shit. And uh, I get there at 4 p.m. And they're like, okay, Simon, we'll get you later. We have to get to all the ninjas that do this every year first. <laughs> and all my friends come down, like ready to, sh they're gonna support me. By midnight, all my friends left. By 4 a.m., I'm sleeping on the fucking wet grass in Venice, and they still haven't got to me. And I'm, I finally go up to a producer. I'm like, hey, are you guys going to get to me, like, anytime today? And they're like, oh, we'll get to you after lunch, probably around 5.30 a.m. Um, I was like, you motherfuckers, like, you guys called me to – you hit me up to do this show. And I got pissed, and I left. And I failed the first test of being a ninja, which is patience. Oh, oh shit. I was going to say, because I never saw you on the show. <laughs> I would have been stoked. I wanted to do it. What's it look like for you now then? Like, are you still drinking, occasionally doing drugs? Or is it just like cold showers and breath work? Like straight edge kind of life? Oh, uh, you know, I I don't know. Like, I, I kind of go through phases where I'll work out every day. You know, I'll go running every day for three weeks and get into running and then I just stop. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of the same thing. I do. I'm really extreme with stuff like 
I'll go sober for three months and work out every day and then do breath work and meditate every fucking day. And then one day I just don't do it anymore. And then I'm like, eh, I'm going to smoke weed again for a month. And then I'm like, I'm over smoking weed. And I, I kind of just always am extreme with shit. And mm. uh, uh, yeah, so, but right now, uh, like I just went for a run today. Uh, like I got to get back into just sweating. Like it felt so good just to sweat and like move. I think blood flow is really important. And one thing I do believe in is blood flow. Like just sitting around is the worst thing you could do. There's this guy named Ido Portal who I follow. He's sort of this body movement guy from Brazil who trains Conor McGregor. And that's why Conor McGregor like crawls into the ring and does all these primal movements. And so I'm, lately, my latest thing is all about just like sitting in the squatted position, like when you're in the third world and you see someone in a village like working and they're squatted down. Mm. So I'm all about hanging on my pull up bar, squatting and uh, and just moving. Just body mm. movement is my latest thing. But I'm always just trying different shit and just seeing what works. And I think I just have ADD and I just yeah. lose interest in stuff. So right now I've been pretty damn sober and just moving when I can, you know? Yeah. Obviously you look very young, but I'm always curious when, like typically this is a thing for women where they're worried about aging because beauty is put on such a higher pedestal for a woman. But you, like I'm, I, every interview I watched, they mention how handsome you are at least once and how good you look and how youthful. Does that make you become obsessed with yourself or aging? Like, do you find you're worried about growing old or getting older? Yeah, I guess it's more like I, well, thank you. And that's a compliment and I'll take it. But I think it's more like uh, I'm, you know, definitely noticing like I've been, I've been avoiding it for a long time and been able to stay pretty youthful, but I'm noticing for the first time, like uh, today I was laying on the couch and I was looking at my foot. I was like, Whoa, my foot's getting wrinkly. Like, Oh yeah. 46. <laughs> like, fuck. I know in your mind, you're still 23 years old, but you're fucking almost 50. So, Hey, you know, you just kind of like, I don't know. I'm just at an age where I'm accepting everything. Now mm. I'm like, all right, man, you're getting older. Like it's all good. I think I was fighting it for a while a few years ago. It's really fighting it and was in denial about getting older. And then, you know, mid forties, you kind of just hit cruise control and you're like, you know what? It's all good. Like I'm a dude. We can age gracefully. I can get gray hair, even though I dyed it this crazy color, but it's okay to be gray as a guy, you know, society kind of is just set up that way where it's not a bad thing to, uh, you know, get a few crow's feet and gray hair as, as a dude. You know what I mean? I'm not saying it's right, but that's just the way it is. I know. And, and I do think that's bullshit. And I'm seeing more women let their hair go gray and looking great. And I hope that yeah. continues because it's exhausting. It's time consuming. It takes up all your money and it turns you into a crazy vain person and everybody ages. So that's I, I do hope that women continue to kind of stay on this trend. But it might be some people might actually feel like they look better with the gray hair. Like some yeah. women pull it off amazingly yeah. and some some men. But maybe some people just feel like it doesn't suit them. Either. I don't know. But what, what I am interested in is, Simon, what, what's with squatting? What what does that do? Because you were like you were saying this Brazilian guy talks about squatting. Yeah, it's basically just to open up your hips and like, uh, you know, men are really tight in our like women, I think, are designed more to give birth to a baby mm -hmm. and are just more flexible in that area. And for men, we're always really tight in like the psoas and the glutes and the, you know, the um, the what's it called? The uh, the IT band. So you basically just imagine just like squatting, like with your feet flat all the way down, like you are 
imagine like I've been around the world in Asia and Africa and Latin America where you see, you know, in cultures like they just they just are very able to get down on the ground and just be like squatting all day or smoking a cigarette or whatever. And I was like, fuck, I always wanted to be able to do that. But we always are sitting in chairs and like is the light. We're losing light here. Let me, I could turn on the mm -hmm. light. But um, yeah, I uh, I don't know. I just want to be able to be flexible because mm -hmm. the older you get, you just I just want to be flexible so I could snowboard and run and, you know, uh, just be able to move. Um, that's what I'm kind of learning as I get older for me. I just want to be able to do activities and yeah. not be stiff. So stretching is just so important, you know? I was watching an interview with you and you were talking about, I believe it was Artie Lang interview actually. And you were talking about how, when you, you were 39 at the time and you were saying, I don't want to be rapping into my forties, but obviously you, you still did shows what do you do you feel like rapping is just more like at this point for money than passion yeah 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 it's for money yeah it's for money and it's kind of like something to do and you get to travel and like you know we just me and mickey you just you know a year ago we're doing shows in australia and bali like fuck yeah i'll do that just when you get invited to show, do a show in Reno, you're not as stoked, but like, it's such a blessing because I make enough money in one night to pay the rent, you know, and bills. So I just look at it like a job and a blessing. It's just sort of like, I'm up there just going through the motions and I'm not really into it, but like, I just got to turn it on and the crowd's really young and they just want to get fucked up. And I'm just like, I just want to watch a documentary in my hotel room and go to bed. You yeah. know, I'm just at a different place. And this character that I, the persona I created is like this party guy. Everyone wants to party with, but I'm just the boring guy that wants to go home now. So it's more of a job, you know? Right. Uh, now, obviously I could talk to you all day, but the Raptors are playing right now in game seven. So and we've talked to you oh, for, yeah. shockingly, we've talked to you for an hour. Like time really flies uh, talking with you, but I didn't want to, what is like your career is so eclectic. What is next for you besides the podcast, obviously what you're focusing on now? You know, I don't know. That's a good question. I never really like to, I'm not a good planner. I never set goals. I never know what I'm going to do. Fucking, I don't even like to make plans two days from now because I just go with the wind and I just am like a leaf in the wind and like nothing I've ever done in my life. I really planned out like everything from like I told you with me and the girl and I was in the waiting room and next thing you know, I'm in Europe. And the next thing you know, I get offered to do a thing for MTV and I didn't even want to do that. And the next thing you know, I'm, I got Gus Van Sant, this famous director calls me up from Goodwill seeing hunting. me on MTV to do a movie. And I'm like, all right, I guess I'll do acting now. And then the music thing, everything just sort of happens. So I just go with the flow and I don't know what will be next, but it's probably just going to be building this resort and kind of, slowly but surely fizzling out of showbiz like i'll still go do a movie or a tv show or a dirt nasty show don't get me wrong but the older i get like the less i really want to mm -hmm. do it so i think it's just a matter of building something special out here in the desert that i can share with people and make a little money and just not be like look at me look mm -hmm. at me you know i'm just kind of over it right. i guess but i'll still do it and i guess having paid off your mortgage now and you're rent free gives you a little bit of freedom yeah. to do those things which is amazing. And congratulations. Yeah, on it's that. a weird feeling. That's the first time since I've been 17 years old that I don't have to pay rent on the first. So the first a week ago or whatever, I was like, wait, I don't have to pay rent. This is the weirdest feeling ever. Like, fuck. All right. Like I just got a car bill and a phone bill and that's it. That's a pretty nice place to be. Like, I don't think we're set up in the West ever. Like I remember when I bought my house 50, 20 years ago, 
the bank, I remember saying, okay, you'll own this house in 30 years. It's like, fuck, 30 years. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I can't plan 30 years. From, I'm not going to be in that house in 30 years, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a cool feeling to just be paid off. You know what I mean? It's like a little house. It's just one little box. It's a shipping container. Congratulations. Yeah. Though, still, no, yeah. I'm jealous of that feeling of liberation because <laughs> it is still a while off for us. But honestly, Simon, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Yeah. We are so happy that uh, you were able to be here. No, thank you guys. Where can people check you out? Your podcast, your socials? Uh, yeah. So Nervous Rex is the podcast. It's up on all the platforms, I guess. And then social media, uh, Instagram, Simon Rex 415 and Twitter is Simon Rex. And uh, that's pretty much it. I, I guess my Facebook is Simon Rex. I'm not really sure, but I'm mostly <laughs> active on Instagram and Twitter. Yeah, no, that's great. But again, thank you so much and uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Yeah, thank you guys so much. Nice to meet you. You guys so are nice a beautiful young couple. I wish you guys all the best with your beautiful family in Canada. <laughs> uh, great country. I love it up there. If you guys are ever in this area, come check out the place and vice versa. If I'm in Toronto, oh, hell I don't yeah. want Americans there, but maybe one day. Well, if things really shit the fan yeah. there, then uh, come say Absolutely. Hi. You have my number. Thanks. I appreciate all it, guys. Right. Have a good one. Take you care. too. Bye, Simon. All right. What'd you think of Simon? Oh, babe, I loved that discussion. I thought it was so much fun. I thought his hair was cool. And I was, I don't know, I, I was giddy. I had like a giddiness about me. It was a fun interview. And I just, I liked what we got into and the directions that the conversation took. It's funny with this podcast, I am getting the opportunity to talk to a lot of people I've always wanted to chat with. Celebs? <laughs> chat with celebs? <laughs> yeah, like we're going to have Shannon Sossman on coming up soon. And uh, let's just say I had a little bit of a crush on her growing up. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> okay, but now I guess we're at the point in the show where we go over listener questions. Number one, is Shane going to start slugging too? So for those who don't know, slugging is this beauty technique, a skin technique that my grandmother did, my Polish grandmother, her entire life until the day she died in which she would like wash her face put on a moisturizer and then put a really thick layer of Vaseline all over her face. So then you'd go and visit her and she'd just be this like shiny, adorable, cute old lady. And you'd give her a kiss and you'd get Vaseline on all over your, like your lips and your nose. But she swore by it. And yeah, she was wrinkled. She was 88 when, 89 when she died. But the wrinkles were like soft, like silk wrinkles. It was really nice. And now it's a huge trend on TikTok and in Reddit this slugging. So what you do is you do your typical skin routine at nighttime, like you wash, tone, exfoliate, whatever, put on a moisturizer, and then you slather petroleum jelly all over your face to lock it in. And then all your products work extra and whatever. I've now done it three nights this week. And I think my skin looks amazing. It's so smooth. Shane, feel, feel, feel. It's just... Mm, it's lost that sandpaper like quality you used to have, yeah. <laughs> so Shane, do you like do you even do you notice the difference at all with my it's skin? It's hard. It's like hair growth. It go it happens so gradual. I I need to not see you for two weeks, mm -hmm. slug it out, then I see you again and I'd be like, Whoa, two weeks ago you look worse than you do now. <laughs> or sorry, you look better, I guess. Well, here's the thing. Just taking it from me and I'm saying like it's been amazing, would you do the slug life with me once or twice. Try it out. I'm not as concerned with wrinkles as I am the shine on my forehead. 
My something mm. that plagues me is forehead shine. I, mean, I don't care about wrinkles. Yeah, and see, this wouldn't be good for you then because slugging the ultimate goal is to have glass skin it's a korean beauty trend where your skin is so shiny it's like glass because it's so smooth and there's no texture i guess if it's good not to have wrinkles i have good wrinkle jeans although i'm not worried about wrinkles maybe that's because i have good wrinkle jeans i don't know (laughs) but i'm not anti-wrinkle no i know no but it's not even necessarily totally anti-wrinkle or anti-aging it's just like making your skin texture like on your cheeks your forehead whatever just super smooth and shiny so no one's ever touching my forehead maybe it's because it's so greasy and shiny but (laughs) i feel like no one's ever touching my face to be like and i have facial hair and like so you won't be slugging anytime i'm not slugging what's the next question it's been nine months since miscarriage and still not pregnant should i be worried so I, of course, am not an expert on this topic, so I started researching it because you're not the first person to have asked this. I've had friends go through it. So my findings were this. Uh, Your odds of getting pregnant in any particular month are only 30 to 40% anyway, even during your most fertile days. So they're still kind of low, and getting pregnant in general is very hard. But you should speak to a fertility specialist or endocrinologist if you've been unsuccessful and you're under 35 and have been trying for over a year or you're over 35 and you've been trying for six months or you've had two to three consecutive miscarriages. Okay, so there's kind of guidelines that you can find in regards to when you should seek help. And it's generally about a year because trying to get pregnant, trying to conceive is difficult anyway however if you think something could actually be wrong then you can try to book one sooner i have friends that were able to get in and that were seen i know it might be different in the states because you can pay to get seen sooner but in canada if if there is an issue i think you can get in sooner as it is right now judging from the research i did i wouldn't be worried but i would keep an eye and you know talk to your specialist in the next few months yeah i think anything you want to happen in your life always have a healthy amount of concern mm-hmm. and you never want to wait too long yeah right like it's like you always hear that someone's like oh, i feel something's kind of wrong and then they they don't go to the doctor for that extra mm-hmm. month but it's better to just get off your mind mentally so yeah. I, I think like i went to see a fertility person just because i was curious <laughs> <laughs> you know so if something's bothering me i really like to be proactive about it mm-hmm. just to get that mental weight off no absolutely so yeah so get it checked out if you think that there is an issue All right, next question. How do you deal with money matters? Shared finances. We don't, and it can be awkward AF. So Shane and I, we share finances. We pool everything. And again, I did a little research. So most couples do share finances, but the rate of couples not sharing finances is moving up. So I was reading an article and couples were talking about that they have like a missed couples were saying how they have a mistrust in sharing finances for some reason which kind of I don't understand because if you're getting married then there has to be a lot of trust anyway some people aren't good at spending so yeah but what I like about having uh, a shared account is I can see everything you're buying so in ways because I don't trust you I trust you more (laughs) because I can watch every move well, yeah, if you're looking at it from that standpoint, but the thing is, I think I it am. keeps a. Co- <laughs> I 
think it keeps a couple honest and it keeps your goals aligned, right? Especially if you're trying to make financial goals or if you are saying, okay, we want to go on this vacation or we want to have this much saved up for retirement, then you can actually do that together and you're less likely to fall off track because, you know, there's more responsibility when you're both kind of keeping an eye on it. But it was interesting because 28% of millennial couples do not share finances. And that is like way up. Gen X, only 11% of those couples did not share finances. So, these, these married couples? Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. So that's that's going up. And I don't know what, like, what do you think might be spurring that trend? Well, maybe, maybe it's like, what if we break up? And then mm. it's like, oh, geez, what do we do with our mm. money? And I, th- I think... Some people split the difference, and what they'll do is they'll have a pot that they'll uh, siphon money into the the pot that they mutually share the pot, but then they'll have their own little yeah. money yeah. place. You know, like, obviously, do what works for you, but if you're writing us saying that it's awkward AF, then it sounds like maybe that's not the best way to go, and maybe talk to your partner about pooling your money and sharing your money. It's worth having the discussion. Absolutely. And I think it, just talking about it will make it less awkward AF. Do you think the majority of your friends pool their money or have separate accounts? I think they're probably doing the the middle honeypot way. Yeah. Yeah. Do just, you know? Do you know what? Like, do any of your friends do a total amalgamation? Like Shane and I do a total amalgamation. There's never a little bit of a question. I never have to send you like a Venmo request for our cell phone bill. Yeah, I don't or... know Venmo's in Canada, but I know what you're saying. But I think, too, because you don't have horrible spending habits. So it's it's easier. If you had bad spending habits, we might have to switch things up a little bit. But talk to your partner. If it's awkward, talk to them. Nothing should feel awkward, especially something like money. That's such a huge, like, unfortunately, it's a huge factor in a relationship. And that, that can become very shitty. So sort that out, I would say. Do you have anything to add? No, sort that out. <laughs> Okay. When Shane is working from home, do you treat it like he's gone to the office as in no help? Okay. You're looking at me like you want me to answer. Yes. It's pretty much a known thing that, hey, I'm wheeling, I'm dealing, I'm doing a lot. But, you know, there's five minute breaks where you'll give me the baby and say, oh, can you just bounce her for a bit? I need a break. We also have had Nona here. so Yeah. And and when it is just Shane and I, because uh, Nona's been here for the last week. Prior to that, it was you and I for three weeks on our own. You you help out when I need it, it, which is amazing. Like if I take the girls out and then I need help bring them back to the car, you'll run out. You'll help me. Like you said, if I need a break, you'll take the baby for a couple minutes. And even those tiny little breaks in the day and those small moments of help, Oh my God, they make the biggest difference. And the fact that you are around for mealtimes, I think is the most massive difference. That That's so huge. And I guess putting her to bed. Yeah, that's all amazing. Because those wouldn't be Shane's typical work hours, but because he would commute and the commute was like two and a half hours, he'd miss those. And I don't know how I would be putting two girls to bed right now. Like that would be the most difficult thing ever. So you being home for that is so helpful. Yeah, it's a it's a win win, and I'm working way better. Mm-hmm. Like and that. it's kind of cute for Lucy because she gets to go run in your room whenever she wants a kiss, or like to tell you that she did pee pee in the potty. <laughs> yeah, that seems like, <laughs> uh, in theory, that's good. In actuality, when I'm like, uh, if I take a two minute break, I'm like, "What are you doing, Lucy?" She'll she'll look at me and go, "Go work, <laughs> go back to work, daddy." And it's like, oh, does she actually want me to go back to work, or is this she's resentful because I'm always working? 
right? Because she's seeing you at home but working and not playing. Yeah, but it's very odd when I want to play with her. I'm like, oh, because I, I watch movies like Hallmark movies and the, <laughs> the dad comes home from work and it's like, daddy, and they're so excited to play with dad. So I kind of want that. But well, it's always like, it's literally like, I'm not exaggerating. Go back to work. Go sit on your chair. And then I'll sit. She'll go, turn around. Look at the computer. Work. Start <laughs> typing. It's literally like that. No, I know. I know it is. However, you guys were playing princesses for a while today and it was super animated. It sounded like a lot of fun. It was. Do you know how hard it was to <laughs> coax her into letting me do that? She's like, no, I want Nona. I'm like, no, no Nona's back hurts. She's like, mommy then? I'm like, no. She's like, no, you're not allowed. I'm like, what if I'm the dragon? She's like, okay, you're the dragon. She's like, I don't like the dragon. He's mean. <laughs> And then it took me forever to switch from dragon to prince. Aw, but you did. Eventually. But okay. I was actually playing dual roles, if you really want to know. Regardless of all of this, she still runs in your office for high five every time she pees. That's she runs cute. in sometimes, yeah. And sometimes she'll be like, I need, I need you to show me something. I'll go, what? She'll grab my hand. I'm like, oh, this is so cute. And she'll just take me to the cupboard. She'll be like, lift me up so I can grab a cookie. <laughs> I'm like, ah. Oh. No, but that's cute. You're like, you're her partner in crime because she knows I'm not going to do that for her. And she kind of thinks like you're on her team. That's adorable, Shane. All right, next question. How do you relax and unwind? It's hard. Always, I'm always plugged in. Can you put the paper down? Sorry, it's down. Why it's does down. the paper need to be in my face after you read the easiest question? Okay. So we're always on kind of, especially like Alex as a mom and then me as, you know, working and doing this podcast and doing all the uh, emails for everything in our life that when I'm chilling, I'm almost stressed that because it feels like I should be doing something. I'm always mm-hmm. talking about inertia lately. It's it's always hard for me if I stopped. Like when we took a two week break, we went to the cottage. Yeah, It was hard for me to start working again. Because I was so used to being still. And then if my inertia switches to where I'm always doing something, it's very hard for me to stop. Mm-hmm. So when I sit down, I'm like, oh, I should be doing some push-ups right now. I should be working out. I should be pacing. I should be thinking about a project. So yeah, it is really hard to chill. And what do we do to relax? I would say I listen to a podcast before bed. But that's more of a solo activity. Yeah, so- no. So if, if we are relaxing together, so... I have anxiety, said it right. In, Still like, sounded weird. <laughs> in that because Betty's so young, every time I put her down for the night, I'm always, you know, kind of only half on the chair thinking, oh, I'm going to have to get up in a half hour because she's going to start stirring again. And even at nighttime, every time I close my eyes, I'm like, I know I'm going to have to get up 45 minutes from now to go feed her, calm her down, whatever. And it's hard because with the two girls and then, You know, I have my account, Shane and I are doing the podcast, and it is a lot, but we like to kick back and watch Seinfeld. We do. I say that's like that, and when Curb, the season of Curb was on, we did that, and aside from that, it's- NBA basketball we're watching. NBA basketball. You're mostly on your phone. I like to relax and like look things up that don't have to do with the blog. Like I like to catch up on the news and, you know, just read gossip. Nice. Yeah, Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. One more. Does Betty wake up Lou during the night and will they share a room? Betty doesn't wake up Lou during the night. She's in our room and we have like so many noise machines and fans going on upstairs that she has so many walls of sounds to get through before it gets to Lucy's room. They will share a room eventually. I'd say when Betty is only waking up maybe once a night that I'm going to put them, have them share a room. And then Shane and I can have our life back. 
a little bit. Yeah, it'll we, be like a scene out of Caligula in our room again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but uh, that's it, babe. Okay, well, what an episode. I, I hope people enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, next week, back to our regular scheduled programming, because we're going to have Emma Watkins from The Wiggles Ooh. and uh, some doctor who's very good <laughs> at something. Psychology, I think. All right, folks. Well, have a great rest of your week i guess and if you do like this podcast as much as we like recording it go give us a rate give us five stars give us a comment we so appreciate it and it does mean a lot for us give us a rate yeah thank you so much for listening to (laughs) this this family Family tree Tree Podcast, podcast episode 54